It's the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast, Episode 12. You're someone who time blocks. A quick glance at your calendar would show that you have put some thought into each day's plan. But what happens when you get to the end of the year and realize that you haven't accomplished your most important goals? For example, some gurus at marriagebuilders.com recommend that you spend 15 hours per week in solo time with your spouse or a significant other. You may block the time in your calendar with a recurring appointment. That makes sense, right? But what if you realize after a year that you fell far short of 15 times 52, whatever that number is? Why does this happen? Why is, is it even avoidable that when we set our, our, our objective to spend a certain amount of time on a project or some intention that we don't accomplish it and we fail? How do we get past that? So tune into this episode to hear from me and my special guest, Trevor Lorbeer, as we solve this challenging problem together. Welcome to the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast. And welcome back. As you can see, we're joined by our special guest today, Trevor Lorbeer. And before I introduce Trevor, let me just talk to you if this is the first time that you're hearing our podcast. So this is a different kind of podcast. It's not an interview or I'm not asking Trevor to talk about his book or the, the, the software that he represents or it's not an interview of Trevor per se. Instead, Trevor is a guest here at Two Time Labs. And together, we are going to spend time looking at the problems. So we're going to spend the first part of this episode trying to solve the problem of time allocation. Trying to define, sorry, define the problem of time allocation. Then we're going to switch from defining the problem into solutions. So this has a very much a part one and a part two. And at the end, we'll wrap up by looking at the implementation. What are the steps that need to be taken? And here on the podcast, we also are looking for different kinds of ideas that we can pick up for the very first time. So when we hit on one of those, you'll hear this. Ooh, nice bell. And that bell will go off when we have picked up on something brand new, an insight that we want to point out and say, okay, this time around, we've actually gotten something brand new. If we don't accomplish anything brand new, basically we're sharing ideas that we already had, then we'll play a buzzer at the very end and say, we didn't quite hit the objective of brand new thinking, which is kind of lofty and very aspirational, <laughs> but we had a great time and we trust that you get value. So before I introduce Trevor, let me tell you a short story about Li Wei. So she is a very busy project manager. She works for a conglomerate as a middle manager. And when she's not working, she tries to spend as much time as possible with her family at home. But the pandemic has changed things quite a bit. Now that she's working from home for four and a half days per week, she spends more time than ever with her husband and two children. Time, okay? But it's not enough. Her husband and her older child started to complain that they never see her. This makes no sense, she explains to her therapist. His name is Michael. 
she's at home all the time now and they're under the same roof almost all the time. He pauses and then asks a few probing questions and they reveal that while she has them in sight, it doesn't mean they're in her mind. For example, she used to be really careful to leave work at 5 p.m. each day. After abandoning the practice due to COVID, she actually works all the time. She's available to answer messages at almost every waking moment. Also, her projects on the job have no slip behind schedule. When they review her actual time usage, they uncover the truth. She spends hardly a quality, a single quality hour with each person in her family per week, one hour or less. How can that be? So welcome Trevor Lorbeer. Trevor is the founder of Day Optimizer and you can find out more at dayoptimizer.com. It's a web app that helps all solopreneurs create daily plans that reflect their priorities using guided workflows designed around neuroscience principles. He's also the creator of Strategic Life Tools, which is available at strategiclifetools.com tools. It's a free membership site with tools for life planning and lean decisions. And he also has another site at leandecisions.com. And that's a blog that teaches people concepts and techniques to make better decisions. Trevor is a global citizen. He lives part-time in Asheville, North Carolina, and also part-time in Berlin, Germany. In his spare time, he's an avid swing dancer and is currently working toward B2 fluency in German. So this is the second time that we're having Trevor with us. He was with us a few episodes ago. Trevor, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be back. Great. So I think we, we queued up this problem the last time around, didn't we? Something yeah, similar. We talked about the, uh, the beginning of this problem last time. Right. The, the, I think we, we, we decided to punt this one because last time around we talked about time optimism. And this time around we're now looking at allocation, which is, I guess, defined by, well, tell us, how, how do we define time allocation? Yeah, so let's quickly review a little bit of the last episode where we talked about that, that distinction between time estimation and time allocation. And time estimation is figuring out how long it takes for a task to get done. And time allocation is figuring how long are you going to spend on it today or this week. And where the confusion lies is we often think that everything can be estimated when it can't. And so we use time estimation in areas when it's not necessarily appropriate and where a time allocation strategy will be more effective because if it's a complex task or a task we've never done before, novel or complex tasks, then we can't actually estimate them. And instead we should need to be allocating time to moving that forward. But then we also dived into, or we started diving into, which we'll get into this episode, is how do you allocate your time both at the macro level all the way down to the micro level. And we'll talk about the three levels of time allocation and how to make those work. Right. I think it's fair to say that human beings have problems in all these different areas once they start time blocking. Because it's not yeah. easy. You know, when you're when you're time alloc when you're allocating time, you're not just making a decision in a vacuum about where to, you know, when to debug the program. 
Because whatever you decide to do at any particular time means that you're also deciding not to do something else at that particular time. And that makes it annoying and difficult because you don't, none of us probably listening to this podcast have 168 hours to play with. Not really. We have maybe an hour or two spare here or there. And when we decide to do something now, it means that we're putting off 25 other things and we're not doing them now. So those have to be managed, each in, on their own merits. They each have their own deadlines and their own consequences for not completing them. And uh, that's a lot of tasks to manage, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when we don't allocate our time well, what are some of the things that happen? Trevor. Um, we tend to get very stressed out, right? So like what happens is we tend to be, um, try to work overtime. A lot of times what people do is they try to work more to account for the time that they're not, they're not allocating their time well. So they just put in more effort so when they, they should be putting in somewhere else and put it. There. Yeah. They, they should be putting in smarter effort. Um, mm -hmm. they, that tends to cause a lot of stress, but then makes us actually perform worse. And so it becomes then a vicious cycle where the more stressed we feel, the harder we try to work and less effective we are during that work, which causes us to try to steal more time away. So I'm very big in trying to get people to think strategically about how they use their time so they can start working smarter rather than harder. Right. I also mentioned that there's a, there's a loss of confidence because you start to yeah. question, is there something wrong with me? You know, time blocking is sold as something that's pretty easy. And it's easy to understand. Just put tasks in your calendar until you go start to do it. And you realize that, huh, there's more to this. This is more challenging than I thought. It's not just as simple as doing that. You're actually managing a lot of moving parts and you're doing it with imperfect information and you're doing it with poor estimates. So you're doing a lot of guessing basically. And when you do a lot of guessing and you guess badly, you start to think, am I doing it wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Is it my attitude? Is it my frame of mind? Is my mentality wrong? Is time blocking not believable as a technique? Should I go back to using lists and forget about trying to use my schedule in this way? You know, and, and then some of us even judge ourselves even more harshly and we say, you know, there, there, there should be a way to get this done and why can't I figure it out? And some start to you know, beat themselves <laughs> because it, 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 it seems like it should be an easy problem to solve. And in, in general, it, we, I think we approach time blocking thinking that it should solve these problems for us. Like there's a big should in there that it, it ought to work out and that we should be able to use it to execute our priorities. Yeah. Like this, there, there ought to be a way and, and when there's not an easy way, we, 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 we struggle with the concept that, that we thought this would be easy and we're no surprised because no one told us that it's much harder than it looks. What do you, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think, um, so I think I would summarize that is our expectations around time blocking and our expectations on how well that will solve our problems. Um, or even the problems that need to get solved are incorrect. So 
one of the biggest areas where I can see that mismatch happening is going back to what we talked about is that expectation that things can be estimated, right? Mm -hmm. There are definitely certain tasks that can be estimated accurately, but there are also tasks that can't be. And so if you have the expectation that this is something that you can accurately estimate, and then you're not able to accomplish that within that estimated time, that's going to be frustrating because your expectations did not match up with reality. But if you go into something expecting that you're not going to be able to accurately estimate the time for a task, and you use these other strategies that we'll talk to about today, like time blocking and the concept of allocation rather than estimation within that time blocking, then you're going to come out with less frustration because your expectations are not uh, are, are going to match reality a little bit more. Likewise, is we often have the expectations that the end product needs to meet some specific spec. And that sometimes is the case, but a lot of times we have a lot more wiggle room and a lot more adjustment within that, that we can change. And by not having such, not sticking to our expectations in that process, we're able to adapt our time management to accomplish our goals better than if we are perfectionists about our expectations. So we'll talk a little bit later about how one of the key things I want to drive home that is a lot of time management is scope management. It's right. changing what our expectations are or not holding ourselves to our initial expectations on what the finished product looks like. So that way we can meet our time management needs. Right, right. Because we, it, it, it's almost impossible to start an important task without an expectation. It, it, yeah. It's not like we're clean slates we can't quite brainwash ourselves into expecting anything. We're, hu we're human. So this is not like a problem that will go away just because we're good people. It, we, we bring the baggage of expectation with us into every single task. Um, and even up to the end of our life, you know, if it, it, on a week by week basis, that expectation is there, but it's also there, you know, as you're lying on your deathbed. Yeah. And you're looking back and you're, Maybe you're asking, where did I allocate my time? And, and, and I would say our expectations are derived from what we know. And so they explicitly exclude what we don't know. And for many problems, what we don't know has a bigger effect on the outcome than what we know at the start of the project. That's where we discover, oh, the whole phrase, opening a can of worms, right? That's something right. I didn't even know that existed. And so that lack of knowledge when we're creating those expectations causes our expectations to be incorrect in the beginning. Right, and assuming karma doesn't exist, that applies to life as a project, right? You yeah. get one shot, as far as we know, you get one shot. And at the end of that shot, you kind of go, if I knew then what I knew, <laughs> your God, right? So this has everything to do with a quality, a quality week, a quality year, a great decade, uh, a lifetime, because yeah. we are always allocating time. You know, if we don't do it well, we end up with these day-to-day -day irritations of our, our projects getting screwed up. And if we don't do it well on a whole life level, we end up with all these regrets. Huh. So there's that. And um, 
<laughs> they don't mean to get heavy, but most people, what do you think? I, my impression is that most people just they don't think too much about allocation until there's a urgent problem. It's not it's not something they consider too often. What do you think? I would say that's fairly accurate. Yeah. So I keep busy, um, right? Let me t let me I, I because you just led into that about the life thing. I want to lead into jump into the three levels of time allocation that I think are going to be useful for our discussion uh, around it, this. Part of the problem though, or part of the solution, is my question. Um, I think this, give away the this, good stuff. <laughs> this will this will frame both the problem and the solution, right? Because I think it's it's a problem and a solution issue. So. Right. When we talk about allocation, you were just talking about the life allocation. It's how are we allocating time in our life, you know, right. on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, and all that. We also have, at the at a more granular level, how do we allocate time to a project or a task? Right. And, you know, that could be like, oh, I can get it all done in a single day. But oftentimes, that's how do I allocate time over a series of days or weeks to a project or task? Right. And then at the most granular level, we'll also talk about within a specific time block, how do I allocate the time within that time block to achieve my goals for that time block? So those are the three levels I think we'll talk about from both the problem, people struggle with doing the allocation at all three levels, and then what are solutions we can do for those three levels. Great. It's almost as if there's, there's three different kinds of skills. Yeah. It, it, as, you, as you define them, it sounds, they don't, they're not... They're similar, but thinking about your life is not like thinking about how much time should we spend on the first part of the podcast versus the second. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. They, they, they wind up, you use different techniques to solve each problem, but recognizing that there's at least those three different levels lets you say, what level am I trying to operate at right now? And then how can I solve that? And how can I align all three levels together? So what I'm doing at a time block level, at a project task level, and at my life level are all in alignment. So I'm not like misaligning things. So, so I have a suspicion that most people just, they're happy being really busy at the first level. They manage the chaos at the second level and they ignore the third level. Yeah, that would and be my suspicion as well. But... Okay. <laughs> and that doesn't work because you could be really great at the first level and the second and third will really determine the quality of your life in a se in a sense. They're not. I think. Well, I want to. I want to say they're all important. I don't think there's one more important than the other. Um, it's just that it's easier to focus on what you're going to do in the next five minutes than it is the next ten years. It's just yeah, normal. Okay. Um, so this is a, a this is not a new problem, of course, right? This is not like we're discovering something. This is a this has been going on since mankind started to think. Of probably even people that don't even think about time still have the problem because it, it's a fact of living. It's a fact of living a limited life. Yeah. Uh, and if you you know when you were a caveman and you needed to you know you had the same problem. You do I go after the do I keep running after the gazelle now because we need to eat? Or do I stop and instead go after the turtles, which aren't running as fast? Um, do we travel five days north? That's level one. Level two, do we travel five days north to go hunt um, elephant? <laughs> I guess. 
Um, or do we stay home and you know look after the look for the gazelles? And at the end of your life, yeah, I, I should I have spent less time hunting and more time taking care of the kids. Because if you're alone lying in the cave and the kids aren't with you and they, they can't be bothered because you don't care about them, so they don't care about you. Yeah. Maybe less time hunting and more time spending with the with the kids. So this is, you know, all the way going back to caveman times. Uh, we're talking about a, a inherent human problem. And time blocking is, I think, helps to define the problem in a way that most people don't think. What would you say? Yeah, I would think that's accurate. Yeah, I would say people don't often think through um, how they're using their time and time blocking is one way to help surface that. Right, and the time blocking sort of drives you down into making very explicit decisions about where I spend my time, at, at ultimately on all three levels, but traditional time blocking is really about, probably about the first two, I would say. Yeah, I think that the, the, the um, what's not talked about as much that should be is that third level of how do you, how do you within a time block structure that time block. But you're right, most time blocking is, is, I would say most time blocking is done at that middle level, at that project task level. It's like, let me figure out how to um, schedule my tasks into my calendar or et cetera. Um, there's many coaches who do um, the, the first level, the life planning stuff, you know, um, I have the build your own life portfolio and strategic life tools. Lots of people have different things on how do you look at your entire life? Um, was it um, Laura Vander? Vanderkam, yep. Vanderkam, 168 hours, right? That's that structure of 168 hours. How do I divide those 160 hours? Lots of people have frameworks for thinking about how do I divide that time at the life level? Um, and then, like I said, there's lots of stuff talked about scheduling time into your calendar, creating time boxes, time blocks within your calendar. But I think also at that micro level within a time block, that is very rarely talked about. Right, right. And that probably explains why Leeway in the, in the story isn't, she, she at the level, I think she's a second level problem. She's not managing the, the I don't want to solve it yet, but she's experiencing problems by talking about, by noticing that her family is reacting adversely to, yeah. to the, the way she's spending her time. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we start to solve the problem. But, but someone, someone like her, you know, she didn't have her therapist, Michael, to talk to. Or if we didn't have time blocking as a tool, I could see ongoing frustration at trying to, especially if you're not time blocking at all. So there's a whole school of thought that time blocking is a bad idea. And you should keep your stuff on the on lists. So you're not even pre-thinking what you should be spending your day on or your week. You're not looking at dependencies between tasks. You're just scanning lists and deciding what to do next. And it can be really frustrating if you're someone who has especially sharp deadlines, because it's really hard to meet sharp deadlines or you meet expectations of your family if you're just looking at the list. It's not as if you're going to look at the list and it says spend time with the kids. It's not something you put on a list uh, yeah. and manage it that way. The better way is to use a calendar. So if you're not even time blocking, then you could end up really frustrated and really getting to the end of week, month, year, life and say, you know, what happened there? I think it's way more likely if you're not time blocking. What do you, what do you think? Um, 
certainly if you're not um, doing like looking at your time allocation, I, I don't know. There's several strategies for how to pace your day and time blocking are, is definitely one of them. And I would say probably one of the more effective ones to make sure they're allocated. Um, I always say all context, all devices context sensitive. So it depends upon the context. Time blocking to me is really useful um, when you have multiple competing priorities that you need to balance. So that way allows you to strategically think about those. Or if you have uh, lots of time, so you only have a single priority, but you're having trouble defending that time. So creating protected time blocks that say, hey, like I wanna write a book. So I only have a single priority there, but I'm having trouble figuring out how that is. So you, you actually use time blocking in slightly different ways for each of those, whether you're balancing multiple competing priorities or just creating protected time blocks. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think those are critical to tie into how am I using my time overall and is it aligned to my life goals? Yeah, and it, the time blocking offers you a particular kind of intensity around your time usage because you're bringing a whole lot of attention to the way you spend your time, uh, your waking hours, let's call it that. You're, you're very, very much focused um, and you're always managing a plan that you created at some point in the past. Um, again, very different from just looking at a list and saying, well, what's next? What, what should I, what do I feel like next? Or what do yeah. I remember to do next? Um, I think it's way more likely to get, you're way more likely to get into that position where you're regretting the way you, the way you allocated your time because you weren't really managing the time. You're just going from the lists. I think that regret is more likely to show up um, if you're only, if you're only list managing. And then for some people, that's not a problem, but for some, it really is. Yeah, and I would say that like, you know, task management is totally valuable. You should be creating lists and, and managing lists, but it is a separate discipline than time management. And you can use time, you can do list management. For some people, list management is a form or task management is a form of time management. Just like some people use energy management or attention management to manage their time. Those are valid strategies to, to use. What works for one person may not work for someone else. But like I said, if there's these categories of things, if you have multiple competing priorities and you need to make sure that they're all moving forward, then actually using time management through a strategy like time blocking is really valuable. Not that you wouldn't use other, some of the other strategies, but right. it's critical. If you are doing a, a job like, you know, um, a classic one where you're, you're basically doing list management is if you're a single track job and you just have a backlog, in right. which case, like, you know, say I'm a salesperson making sales calls. Well, I just need that list of the people to call. Or right. I'm a developer and I'm just developing code. Well, just give me the, the backlog of features and I just work through it. And then I'm using other strategies to manage my time. But for the people who do need to be managing these competing priorities, we need to decide how am I going to allocate time across those priorities to meet my end goals? And Actually, you know, you mentioned the salespeople. I've met salespeople and I used to be one for a very short time in my life who, when you're working off that list, you start working at nine o'clock. Yeah. And you do like this, you, 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 you bat your eyes twice and it's five o'clock and you haven't had lunch. You haven't been to the bathroom. You haven't gotten up to even stretch. <laughs> and the, the, the momentum of working on a list, which is, which is one, one of the reasons why blocking time for lunch, for email, for recovery, the reason why those are such valuable strategies yeah um, and i think when you when you're not allocating time 
accurately. You know, if guys, if you're to walk away from this call and you're not better at time allocating, you 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 could feel as if the future is only going to be more of the past that you won't have the better results that you really want to get. Because I think ultimately where we want to take you or encourage you to get is kind of to, towards set it and forget it, where you're able to create a combination of behaviors and apps and devices that allow you to time allocate in a way that's re re repetitive, um, repeatable, cyclical, systematic, that you can rely on, that you don't have to recreate every time you sit down, that operates on its own so that you can move to the next level and think about how can I improve it? Does that make sense, Trevor? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's always, uh, it's not completely automated because there's there's a lot of value. Well, and this is a little bit different. I know you you use an auto scheduler and I'm right, like I do, right. specifically create a app that is specifically a manual schedule because I believe there's a psychological benefit to going through the planning process and creating those commitments versus mm -hmm. an auto schedule that does it for you. But again, that's different strategies for different people. Um, so how much of this process you automate will depend upon what your job is and whether you're going to gain that psychological benefit of making some of those deliberate decisions and setting some of those psychological um, triggers. Right. And in some cases, it will be valuable to do that, in which case you wanna make sure that you have a manual planning process in place. Um, for some cases, it won't be relevant, in which case automating that process makes a lot more sense. And I would tend to say that people who are doing more longer term projects, like so if I'm writing a book or I've got a lot of um, a standard regular thing, I know you write an article every week, that's something that's classic. Figure out your time block, put it in your calendar and automate that. So you, you decide up front what that thing looks like and then you're just running it because you don't need to make those decisions every day or every week. However, if you're doing something where the, your priorities are constantly shifting, then having a more deliberate process up front is gonna be more relevant where you're setting those priorities on a daily or weekly basis and going through a more manual planning process for that. Um, so it just depends. Yeah, actually that's a, that's a, I'm gonna put a ding for our first insight because I got something from what you just said, which is that it's not, the, the point isn't the, Automization, automa autom automization. <laughs> Automaticization. <laughs> it's it's more like the systematization, where you're you're able to systematize your activities, manual or yeah. or app driven, yeah. whatever it is, and it allows you to move to this next level, where you can now manage the system because the system is pretty much running on its own. Yeah. Which therefore yeah. means you can, you're above it. You're beyond it. Um, and I think the, the in, in particular, the, the time blocking allows for that, a great deal of that, because you're so intimately involved with time. I suspect that when you're not doing that, when you're not time blocking it to any degree, you're always having to think about time because you can't set anything and forget it. You're, it's, it has to be a concern that's always on your mind, unless you have infinite time and nobody really does. Yeah. So um, I, again, I think it, it will depend. Again, I think in our context, it's very relevant for doing it. One of the other strat very popular strategies, which I would say would contrast with time blocking, would be um, doing different rhythm methods or pacing methods like 
the Pomodoro method, right? The Pomodoro method is a way to do time management that doesn't require time blocking because what you're doing is you're setting up a cadence of how you're going to work. And again, if you're working, if you are, if you have the type of job where you're working from a backlog, doing a cadence sort of thing where like I work for 25 minutes, I take a five minute break, I do that four times, I take a half an hour break, you know, that cadence can be a very effective time management technique for certain types of jobs. But it's not going to help you if you need to balance these different competing priorities or if you need to defend time in your schedule because you have a manager schedule where you're like you're constantly meeting with people you have lots of interruptions or whatnot and you need to create protective blocks or you need to create multiple um uh, priority blocks to allocate time across those that's not going to help for that so it's just going to be the context within which people are working you could use and this is this is really getting into solutions in case you have not noticed folks what we're talking about no, actually, how do you solve this problem? Um, but you could use time blocking and Pomodoro. Just you'd have to stick, make sure everything fits into a particular time slot. If you're if you're doing strict Pomodoro, twenty five minutes on, five minutes off. Then oh, correct. You correct. To, you, you, most people don't. You, I think that they, they're doing it their way. They're saying whatever yeah. number of minutes I need, and then five minutes at the end to recover. Yeah, if you're doing strict Pomodoro, I think you'd have to do like two-hour time blocks, right? Because it's four Pomodoros and then you take a whole break. So you can do four Pomodoros in a two-hour block and then take a half an hour break and then do four oh, yeah. more to, you know, right. so you could, you strict. can time block, Janet, but um, uh, like if you're doing strict Pomodoro, most people don't actually pay attention to the four Pomodoro rule. Um, right. The other thing I'll just mention, because people always miss this in Pomodoro, is key to do the check mark at the end of the Pomodoro. You're supposed to do a check mark after every Pomodoro on a physical piece of paper or on a, on a device to oh, get really? the dopamine, to get the dopamine hit. Yeah. Oh, to get the dopamine rush. And people, oh, okay. people don't do that. They'll just do the, they'll do the 25 minutes. They'll take the five minute and they'll do the cycle, but they don't check it off. And there's actually value in that check it off because it's four check marks and then you take your break. It's not oh. four Pomodoros and then you take your break. I mean, it's the same thing. Four but, check marks and then a break. Okay. Four yeah. positive so that's a very level one activity, right? That's a yeah. That's a level one activity in the sense that you're giving yourself the dopamine uh, reward for having followed your schedule. Correct, and and then that what what the what the dopamine hit does is it helps build your motivation, increases some of your motivation to do the next pomodoro. So like like you can do pomodoro without doing the check marks after the, after every pomodoro, but it's going to be more powerful if you do, and it doesn't have again. It, like a piece of paper, app, whatever, in some way having that checking off and like doing that little thing. I've done the Pomodoro, great. Like, um, uh, in fact, you could even do like a, a great way to do it, I think, is to do one slash, two slashes, three slashes, four slashes. And then when you take your half an hour break, you flash it all the way through, <laughs> like, you know, on the on the fifth slash. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's, but those, those are, and those are ways to keep yourself on track with respect to the time that you're allocating so, so uh, to the task, right? We're level one. Yeah. So for example, I'm, we're, we're here recording by Zoom and there's no clock. Zoom has not, does not, well, as far as I know, I don't, maybe it's somewhere hidden in the feature. It doesn't tell you how long we've been talking. So I'm kind of looking around saying, why don't they have a clock that tells you how long the recording is? Maybe it's there and I just haven't turned it on. So I keep having to, I have to look at a different clock in order to manage or or time. 
Um, so there's that. So if you don't have a visual sort of indicator, I also read somewhere just today, actually, some research that came out that said that if you're going to put a countdown timer, so a countdown timer is just what it sounds like. You just, it's like a Pomodoro. You decide to do a task within an hour. And I usually use an hour and you have a countdown mechanism. So they've done research that shows that you're more effective if you can't see, physically see the countdown happening. Yeah. When you see the countdown, it actually has an impact on your productivity. What do you think of that yeah. one? Um, I think that's, that's critical. It, like, it creates anxiety on that. So like within Day Optimizer, right. we have this real-time tracking feature where it tells you how much effort is remaining and stuff like that. And I had to make the decision when we were designing that, do I actually keep that accurate or not? And so what it does, it updates every five minutes. So no one can actually look at it and stare at it and see it change. It's only going to change every five minutes. So it kind of removes that, that anxiety aspect of it. Because right. by not updating every minute, you're actually like changing it to where someone can't be staring at the clock because no one's going to stare for five minutes, right? So like there is that psychology around that. It's like, yeah, keep it out of sight. What I actually recommend is, so let, let's get into a little bit into that. This is the allocation within a time block. Within the time block. Setting up um, uh, pacing timers. So yeah, yeah, I allocate an hour time block. I recommend what people do is they set a 15 minute timer on their phone and so every 15 minutes it goes off and you click repeat 15 minutes repeat but a key to that is again you're not going to look at it until it goes off um, but you'll use a alarm sound that's soothing not jarring so i use oh, ocean waves so, so like not meant to be up <laughs> it's, it's not meant to so like on an iphone i can set a timer and in fact it even starts buzzing and then it slowly gets louder so like it basically if you're in the middle of something it just brings a gentle awareness to you hey 15 more minutes has passed so if you're trying to get something done in an hour that helps you pace your time throughout that hour if you're doing it over two hours maybe you set half an hour time whatever but having that pacing another strategy i'll use is in brain fm which is the um, focus music, right? Okay. You can set it to go for a half an hour. So I'll do a half an hour. When the music stops, I say another half an hour, but that tells me a half an hour passed. So this concept of pacing within your time block, I think is critical because it helps you become aware that time is passing and then make those decisions to do things differently within that time block. Right. right. Do, are either of those apps connected to your task management app? Are they connected to the optimizer or are they standalone apps? They're just, that's just, yeah, they're just standalone. Like it's just the, on, on the iPhone, like, and I'm sure Android has the same thing. You know, we just have this like little timer function where okay, I can right. set a timer and right. I can say, okay, I'm going to set a 15 minute timer. And I have ocean waves as mine as the, right. when the timer ends, it just gives me ocean waves. And then right. I'll just can easily click repeat. And, but again, setting some sort of timer, that's a, a pacing timer. Right. Some people will use that cube because the problem with the cube is a very jarring sound. Like they've got the time cubes where you can say oh, 15 minutes. Cube. You turn yeah. the cube to the amount of minutes that you want to block. Exactly. It's a, it's a and, jarring sound at the end. But it's a jarring <laughs> sound. So that's the only problem with that is if, if you're fine with the jarring sound, you can use those. Those can be good to, for the end of the time. So if you're trying to say, okay, I only have an hour and I want to know when the hour's up. Yeah, a jarring a sound is fine if the hour's up. 
But if you're using pacing timers, I recommend using gentle time. So like use chimes, use ocean waves, use something like that for your pacing timers and only use the jarring sound when your time is up. Um, okay. When you have to move the, on. Hard, when you have to move like on. Signifies a hard stop. Yeah, that, that becomes the hard stop. Um, and, and then what the pacing time allows you to then do um, is structure your time within that time block, right? So right. Um, we've talked, we may have talked a little bit in the past, the concept of a prep do wrap framework. So anytime you allocate anything, you need to prepare for a task, you need to do it, then you need to wrap from it. And most people forget about the prep and the wrap phases. They just jump in mm -hmm. and thinking things, like structuring that time block. So the first five, 15 minutes of that time block is preparing, then you're executing, and the last five, 15 minutes is wrapping. And then what do you do in those prep and wrap phases? Well, if it's a, if it's a um, uh, single task and you're gonna get it done in that time block, maybe you then just take five minutes to say, okay, how am I gonna go through this task in this hour? You know, and at the end of it, like, you know, okay, now let me just close all the windows that I did so that when I jump to my next task, I don't have, you know, 100 windows still open. So having a, a system that you can save those windows somewhere, like I use Workona or something like that, that helps you get rid of that task so you can move on to the next task. Or if it's a task that you're moving, you're working on over multiple time blocks, having a system to save your state and load your state. So taking those last five minutes to write down, where am I, where are my current thoughts? What are the next steps when I come back to this? And then, so when you come back to the next time block on that task, you already have a head start because you took notes and you know, okay, like this is where I am. Let me, let me kind of remember where I was, load everything into the state. And now here's the next step to get me started. And right. there's something called attention residue, which yeah. is your carryover from one task to the next. And this helps to minimize attention residue because you're actually unloading your brain. Right. And it also then helps you build that momentum faster at the beginning of the next task because you can load all the information into your brain faster if you actually documented it before you ended the previous time. Right, right. So we're, we're, these are our, our micro strategies that allow you to be, let's call it like 100%. So you're 100% prep. 100% do and 100% wrap. So we covered, we covered the, yeah. Trevor introduced the framework in the last podcast that we did with him. Um, so after you've wrapped, then you can prep the next activity. Yeah. Start again, prep, do, wrap. So, you know, this, 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 this rhythm is sort of very natural. I, by the way, I'm someone, I, I don't wrap anything. I, <laughs> I, I just I leave everything and just move on to the next thing because I'm, I'm, I'm impatient. And I don't, I don't take that breath at the end and then say, okay, how do I wrap this in a way that, so sometimes I come back, I'm like, what, what was I doing when I ended that activity yesterday? Like, I can't remember. I'm like, what did it, did it tell me to do? What was my action item? I didn't, I, I can't recall because my rap, my rap, I find it, I find it challenging to rap, Trevor. Yeah. Well, and, and so this is, I get excited this is where to move on. having that, even if you're not using pacing timers, or even if you are having a timer that says it's time to wrap. So what people will do is they'll set their, their notification is, okay, I'm, I want my notification at 10 o'clock because that's when I'm switching my, my next task. Well, instead, have the timer go off at 9.50 or 9.55, which says like, you only have 10 more minutes left. 
wrap it, wrap it up. Right? right. And that's a prompt for you to wrap. And so having this concept of a wrap timer um, lets you be more conscious of that going, I only have five minutes. Let me, let me, let me put everything in order, making sure so I can shut those things down. And, and then there does involve systems as you do have to, if you've got a bunch of browser tabs open, you have to have a figure, have a way to save that state. You have to remember, have a place where you're taking your notes. So there are other things involved in that, but I find the first thing is people need to actually make time for that phase. And then we can start talking about the systems that support that phase. Right, and I was on a call just before this one and I tried to wrap too late and my urgency only added more wrap time because the other parties decided to talk some more. Yeah. <laughs> Having to say, I have to wrap, I have to wrap. And it became harder and harder to wrap. It eventually, fortunately, a call came in and interrupted the wrapping so I could say, oh, I got to go. It was later <laughs> called. And I said, I got to go. So I got let off the hook. But if I had someone tap me on the shoulder, which say for my next call with them, I'd say, okay, these guys take a long time to wrap. So 10 minutes, I'll give the warning. And I'll start to yeah. wrap up with 10 minutes to go as opposed to five. So, you know, you know, in case you're wondering, folks, as you're listening, is there research that backs this up? I know there's research that backs up the idea of the countdown timer, that you're more focused. And if, even if you don't buy the research or if you think it was done away from, you know, in some college university, but it's not for you, try. Try the, the level one experiments that we're talking about within the time block. And see whether they work for you or not. I, I, I definitely have found that um, as I experimented, I had to make tweaks. Um, but the, the, the experimentation delivered in the sense that I became better at, as a level one task manager because I did these experiments. So I'd strongly recommend that you, as you hear them, you make a list and then just, you know, for a week, try plan do wrap for a week, try the countdown timer, um, try a soft alarm versus a jarring alarm, uh, try, try a reminder to let you know when to wrap. So try these things and see how they work for you. Um, so let me tie in, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, let me tie into what you are just saying in the, like what, the other reason we do it and going back to what I said at the beginning of the episode is, one of the reasons why we have these different strategies of a countdown timer or pacing timers um, is to create more mindfulness within that time block. And specifically what we wanna do, because like a lot of times people will talk about mindfulness saying, oh, you have to be mindful continuously. And I'm gonna use the term mindfulness just to bring into your awareness of the passing of time or bringing into the awareness and coming into an awareness phase when I'm actually trying to work on something, I can go and I'm in this doing phase. But what I want to be able to do is have these mindfulness checkpoints to ask the question is, is this going according to how I expected this to be going? Should I change my approach to this? So if you, if you set um, pacing timers or countdown timers or whatnot, and you don't ever ask that question in the middle of that time block, it's not going to really be effective. Because all you're doing is, okay, time passed. But again, what we talked about at the beginning is a lot of time management is scope management. And what that means is if I set an hour, an hour and a half time block, 
you know, and halfway through that time block, I have a timer that goes off. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't just close the time, like reset the timer. You know, what I should do is take 30 seconds, a minute and go, okay, I'm where, halfway where through. At? Where am I at? Am I going to be able to reach this endpoint? And do I need to change my approach in some way? Do I need to change my scope? Like maybe I need to be less of a perfectionist. And knowing that, how do I get to that point? Um, and, and that is what's going to make those effective is, is using those as triggers to ask the question, to, to create these moments of mindfulness that allow you to then adjust your approach. If you don't, you, if you don't adjust your approach, it's not gonna be valuable. I find that we need a, a different term for the different kinds of mindfulness that we're, we're distinguishing. Because when you're in the middle of a task, and you're like, say, you're like, I was, I was writing an article earlier today for the newspaper. And when you're in the middle of that, you're mindful of a particular world. And you're not mindful of how long the task is taking. The, the reminder would remind you to be mindful at this next level up here. So you'd bump, yeah. I'd bump out of the editing and bump up to managing the task itself. But we use the same word for the two kinds of mindfulness and that, that, that even the three levels of mind that, that we're going to be talking about and, and mindfulness does, it, it seems as if it's, it's too blunt, a, too blunt an instrument to just say mindful. I think we should have another level of this kind of mindful, like level one, level two, level three, or in task versus out of task or some words that, that give us more, um, more definition. Yeah, so so let that up your sleeve, Trevor. That's what I want to know. Um, let's let's um, let's not use the word mindfulness. Is becoming a very wide word. It means many different things to many that's, different that's, people, that's, and so too, I totally yeah. agree with that. Let's just real quick jump into like two of the major forms of meditation. There's a I think one or two others in there, but like when people talk about meditation, the researchers actually identified um, different types of meditation. There is focused attention meditation, which is where that's where, like when I meditate, I'm focusing on a specific thought or I'm focusing on my breath, right? And then there's something called open awareness meditation, which is a, if you think of focused attention meditation is um, a convergent type of thought, like I'm focusing down onto it. Open awareness is becoming aware of everything around you. And in the, the research, what happens is you, can practice both of them but if you practice focus attention first you learn to train your brain to focus and then from there you get extra mental bandwidth to create this open awareness so open awareness is where no matter what i'm doing i'm still aware of my entire environment so what you're describing is yeah i'm deep in this task and in in a flow state maybe we only want the focus attention but there's the there's that also that concept of can i still be aware of everything around me and I think that's a lot of times what people mean by mindfulness. Am I still aware of everything around me while I'm focused? I don't think it's always necessarily be to, to have that, but just that distinction between focus, attention, and open awareness can be a useful thing to have. So creating that open awareness of the passing of time. Um, but I would even say, like, again, it doesn't have to be continuous, right? You right. don't have to continuously be aware that time is passing right. if you set these triggers. It's not, it doesn't have to be constant. 
Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of energy yeah. you'd have to expend to be constantly aware at those two levels for the entire hour. And you don't need exactly. to spend all that time because you, you just need to be aware at periods of time, uh, openly aware, as you said, at, at moments in time to be effective. Yeah. You don't need, it doesn't have to be a 60 minute activity. Yeah. Okay, great. But, but, but yeah, that, that, that framework is useful for, um, you can also think of it in many different skills that we learn, um, particularly in physical skills as well, is the focus attention is focused on the technical skill and getting in all that. And then open awareness creates this kind of more generalized awareness. So if we think about learning how to drive, right? right? We have to be steering, we have to be using the gas pedals, all that kind of stuff. We need to pay attention to everything. When we're first learning, that's a very focused attention. We need to be very focused on that, right? Um, later on, we still need to be focused. We, sh we shouldn't be using our fo phone. However, as we get better at driving, we also develop this open awareness, right? While we're driving down the road, we can also look at the billboard and take in the billboard and it doesn't prevent us from driving because we've internalized some of those skills. We've taken yeah, that focus attention and driven it down deeper into our a body, our skill levels. And so right. that's where learning how to create more focused attention can give us more open awareness later on. But we don't we won't have the bandwidth for open attention until we get the focus attention. Right. That's actually a, a useful one because when you start time blocking, it's the same thing. You're probably yeah. all focused focused attention and no open awareness and then somewhere at you know as you go along you start to develop open awareness and you start to now manage the task with better regularity you don't get to six or five o'clock and realize you didn't have lunch for example yeah. you, you yeah. your your open awareness allows you to manage that okay if you want to really keep going you need to eat lunch you need to have you need to be fueled by food okay. yeah good one hmm that's a that's almost like a hierarchy of time blocking skills. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely like you you learn different skills as you get up. So it, even uh, if you're not I good in the beginning, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I got so excited about ringing the bell that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to level two. We have a we have a speaking of time availability, we have about ten minutes left. Twelve minutes okay. left. We'll go through the next two. Let's say ten minutes. So level two is you're managing the time you're spending on projects or intentions one versus the other so leeway from the the leeway is from the from the story i told is a level this is a level two issue is that at the end of the week or end of the month or whatever her family is saying hang on i haven't talked to i haven't talked to mom for more than 15 minutes one-on-one -on -one for the whole month but she's been here the whole time we had conversations, we talked about stuff, but the kind of quality, you know, like real connecting that doesn't just happen, you know, by accident, it actually needs a little bit of, or a lot of intention. Um, that didn't happen. I'm gonna add it all up. I got 25 minutes total for the last month. Now, you know, his, her husband maybe might think that, huh, hang on. How much time am I really getting here? Or how much time are we really spending? Um, but at that second level, usually, I, mean, I hate to say, but you know, on average, we're not very conscious of it. Um, 
I think for me, it takes some real accounting. It takes a weekly review, uh, an annual review. Uh, what do you think? Um, I think I think annual reviews are great. Weekly reviews are great. I think it requires three different things. So one is having a plan for how you want your time to be used, right? So if you don't have intention, it's hard to then judge yourself for not meeting your intentions. Mm -hmm. So again, like um, people in this podcast can go to strategiclifetools.com slash tools. And there's a how to create a life portfolio that talks about how do you divide your time into different pillars, different facets of your life, and then allocate time to those different things. So I want to be spending, you know, 15 hours a week on my relationships. I want to be spending, you know, three hours a week maintaining my uh, physical health, et cetera, et cetera, right? So coming up, deciding that plan up front, and then you can look on a weekly or, or yearly basis and go, okay, if, especially if you're doing time tracking, you can go, okay, how much did my reality match my intentions? But without those intentions, it doesn't really matter. And you don't even need if you have good intentions and you have other systems to implement those intentions, you may not need to do the analysis. I think it's still valuable to do it, but I would say if you're trying to prioritize, should I track my time and look at it retrospectively or should I plan my time upfront and have intentions, definitely prioritize the upfront planning over the analysis later on. It's gonna be more valuable. Makes sure it happens. Um, in the introduction, I mentioned marriagebuilders.com is a good example. So. Yeah. The, the author says, I, I don't think this is based on research, but it's 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 a it's at least worthy of discussion that to keep a relationship going with your wife or husband or significant other, uh, you need 15 hours a week minimum. Yeah. And he says the 15 hours can't be like watching TV or or a movie. Well, it could be timeline can't be watching a movie like in the movie theater where you can't talk to each other yeah it it can't be that you're in the same house you know kind of the mistake that she was making is that we're in the same house it should be should be okay should be enough we see each other all the time yeah but so it needs to be 15 quality hours of one-on-one -on -one conversation with no kids around no friends around i i guess you could be on your phone to some degree but Certainly not. I'm in my world on my phone and you're in the other world on your phone. I'm in Netflix, you're in Facebook. And then just because you happen to be sitting together in the car means that you're actually spending time. It doesn't, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about 15 hours of preferably face-to-face -face quality conversation. And he yeah. says, so I've mentioned this to friends. And when I first heard it, I was like, 15 hours are you crazy we're supposed to get that time from so that 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 my first reaction was that and it, unfortunately i was in a, a marriage where it came the idea came too late and the practice came even later and didn't, didn't work out in that case but i took the lesson away into my second marriage and i'm very very conscious of that 15 hours but most people argue that they don't have the time for that 15 yeah. hours. And the author argues back that when you were courting, you did. So why not now? Oh, that's, that was different because, and he says, no, it's not. If you were to, you know, if you were to now start dating again, you'd find that 15 hours like magic. 
you would make yeah. the most you'd you'd conjure it and he 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 makes the unfortunate comparison between um like if you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend on the side like an affair you make time <laughs> materialize out of nothing when you have an affair because your intention is so high <laughs> that yeah you, you manufacture 15, 20 hours out of, you do it in a way that you're hiding it from the other person. So you're highly intentional and you, we go about creating that time. They says this is not a matter of, of time availability. This is a time allocation issue. And you, you're arguing that it is, and he, sa he says, it's, it's, it's a matter of your skill, essentially what he's saying your intention and your skill. And once you get those two together, the argument about not having time is nonsense. Comments about that, Trevor? Yes, so I definitely have comments. So I think one, time blocking is important, but I wanna drill down into two concepts within that. One is this concept of um, protected blocks. So there's different types of time blocks. And a lot of times what we talk about in time blocking are task blocks or what I call facet blocks. So I'm either working on a specific task and I'm gonna schedule that in my calendar from two to three, or I'm gonna work on a facet like marketing, admin, email from two to three. Um, then there's this concept of protected blocks where people will schedule personal time, relationship time. That is a type of facet block, but usually what I wanna drill into in the protected block is the concept of how do we define that time block using rules. And I was just trying to look up on my phone. I just I was listening to this book and I can't remember what it was, but talking about black and white rules versus fuzzy rules. Ooh. And a classic one is that like, um, create a rule where if you break the rule it's extremely clear. And so if I'm gonna say, I need to spend quality time with my significant other, it might be, we're not allowed to look at our phones during that time. And so the second you look at your phone, the entire hour is no longer valid. That's like torture for people. <laughs> yeah. In the world or, or, today. Yeah, yeah, and then maybe that's torture, but like, it depends upon what the rule is. Like, it can be like, right. we can't spend more than like, you know, or we can't look at our phones when the other person's like directly in the room. Like if so, if they get up to go to the bathroom, then we can look at the phone, whatever. But having clear black and white rules that determine what that time block means mm -hmm. can be important. And saying like, um, like this is what that protective time block looks like. You talk about watching movies. It's like, okay, that can be a rule. It's like um, watching, what, what can the relationship time block consist of? Well, it can be watching a movie, but not in the theater. Like we have to be able to talk to each other. It can be, you know, um, it can be eating meals, but only if we're, you know, not using a phone during the meal or whatnot. And having this list of rules allow us to be clear with what that time block, that allocation means, you know? Um, and that can be used for, for work as well and stuff like that. You can use, come, come up with different rules around that. It's like, you know, when I'm processing my email, I can only spend 10 minutes on newsletters and then I've got to move on to other things. But, but particularly with the structure that you were talking about where I want to create this personal time and create those boundaries. Mm -hmm. Well, boundaries are defined with rules and the rule can be, yeah, like I can create a time boundary, but to your point is, how do I make sure that's quality time? Well, the way I make sure that's quality time 
is I define this is what quality time means. Right. And I could, I could see us doing that with software in a way. Um, schedule 10 minutes of 10 minutes of time for me to read this with a fuzzy ending. So it, it yeah. with a soft ending rather. So it gives me it 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 automatically and at the end of 10 minutes it goes ooh, and it plays that nice ocean music you yeah. about. I could see that, you know, the software helping you to uh, drop into the flow state, 10 minutes, 15, an hour, two hours, uh, give me a reminder every 15 minutes. And it, auto it automatically setting it up for you and said, okay, I could, you know, Siri could, I don't think it, it has that, but it'd be nice. It's not, it'd, be, yeah. it'd be nice if it played nicely with us because then we wouldn't have to devote our time to actually doing all of that remembering do you think? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, figuring out ways to structure. So, so yeah, uh, um, to, cause I know we're running out of time here to summarize a little bit yeah. around time blocks is one is defining what type of time block it is. Is it a task time block um, where you're working on a specific tasks or you're working on a group of tasks, a facet like marketing, are you working on context tasks? Like I'm only doing deep work or office work or is it a protected time block like personal time or work time? The second one is then looking at how do I structure that time block, the time within that time block, and how do I set timers or other things to to structure that? Whether that's up using the Pomodoro technique, so I make sure that like my time block is always in half an hour increments, so I can use Pomodoro, or I'm I'm doing like one of the methods we talk about, like a pacing timer or a countdown timer to help within those. And then the third one is defining rules that define what goes on within that time block and what's allowed and what's not allowed within that time block. And you can even define rules in the beginning and, and we haven't, we may not have time to talk about this, but like, as far as, you know, I have this, these concept of jump starts where it's like, okay, I need to work on this test for five minutes when it starts and then I can take a break. But that jump start, it's, it's called prime the pump. I work on it for five minutes. Like if I'm experiencing procrastination, work on it for five minutes, and then if I take a break, I'm much more likely to come back to the task and finish it out for that time block. So there's lots of other strategies in there, but these, these are different rules in how we structure the time and then how do we decide what's allowed within that time. Within that time. And again, yeah. software could help us. Because yeah. I, I, I trialed, a, I trialed a, a, an app a long time ago that it actually measured your movement from one room to the other. It, it didn't work very well. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work. Probably more like it didn't work at all. But they tried. They tried to. So if you if you say okay, I'm going to focus on this. If it senses you in the kitchen eating when you should be working, it could it could give you a reminder, a soft reminder maybe. And it could say, hey, you shouldn't be here. You're supposed to be working. Yeah, yeah. It could actually pick up your movement and measure. How, it, it, they tried to map each room and its distance from the router. Well, Trevor, guess what? I'm, I'm, we're going to have to schedule a part three because <laughs> the, the, the how to train, how to have apps that help us in all three levels. We need to finish up the, the question of the level two because we haven't talked yet about um, managing and comparing the time we're spending on projects planned versus intended. We barely yeah. touched that. And we haven't even gotten to, to the third level yet. This looks like another call rather than trying to another podcast rather than trying to squeeze everything into the three minutes we have left. What do you think? Oh, uh, we can certainly do another one. Yeah. All right, great. Uh, can I prevail upon you? Yeah. 
we'll, we'll round this out in the next however long or so. Um, but Trevor, it's been a pleasure having you on the show again. Uh, we told people where to reach you, but can you tell them again? Uh, people can find me at dayoptimizer.com. People can email me at trevor at dayoptimizer.com. Dayoptimizer is your digital day planner app. And I'm also available on Twitter and the other social networks at Fast Fedora, um, F-A-S-T-F-E-D-O-R-A. And yeah, so dayoptimizer.com or Fast Fedora. Fast Fedora. Excellent. So you're listening to the Time Block Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast. We'll be back with a little preview of what's coming up in the next episode. So keep listening. Here's a clip from our next episode. You use lots of apps on a range of devices. Many of them have built-in notifications which are jostling for your attention. But if you leave them all on, you end up with a mess. A cacophony of alerts which do more bad than good. What do you really want? To orchestrate them somehow into a perfect symphony that interrupts you at just the right moment with the right degree of force. Is that too much to ask for? In this solo episode, we'll go past the work we did on episode 11, which focused on the principles of successful and skillful interrupting. And today, we look at the practical actions we must take to retain our sanity via the use of alarms. And if you want to leave a comment about this episode or any aspect of the work that we're doing here at the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast, you can go over to www.replytofrancis.info and send me either a message uh, by text or send me a voice message, a voice note. And as you probably know, we have a couple of places that you can interact with other people, talk about this episode. One is at the community, mightytaskers.scheduleu.org. And you'll see the link in the show notes. And the other, of course, is our upcoming Task Management and Time Blocking Summit coming up in March. Two outstanding opportunities to interact with other people about the ideas that you've heard on this podcast or any of your episodes that are coming up. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing, I invite you to click on the Patreon link below to make a donation. And please don't forget to like our show and recommend it to others on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whatever past podcast, app, or service you're using. This is Francis Wade. I'm signing out. I hope to see you on a future episode. And until then, take care and all the best. See you later.